Let me tell you guys something. I know that you're aware of this, but God has been doing some special, special things in our church. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Amen. I mean, there's just been some special things happening in the lives of people, the testimonies that I've heard. We've seen how God has just been doing great things in our church. And man, it is such an honor to get to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. And as I was thinking back on that, I think it was, man, I, I think it was about two, two or three months ago that I began to notice that something was shifting in our church in a good way. And I began to notice that, uh, that, that, that there was this just awakening of, of, of passion, this revival of, of wanting to worship God and serve God and be in His house and be with His people. And it just began to infect just in a good way. <laughs> That's not a word we really use in a good way a lot of times. But it began to infect and, and spread. It was so contagious and people began to grab a hold of that and they just wanted to be in God's house worshiping with His people. And man, let me tell you, it has been so refreshing because there's something special about when God's people get together and they get on board and they get in unity and they get together with one heart, with one mind, and one accord, with one purpose. Amen? And, and we've been rallying around the purpose of, of loving God and loving people and serving the world. And that's what we want to expand on. We want to expand on that vision. We want to expand on those values that we believe that God has, that we're pointing people to loving God and that we're also loving people. And then we're taking it outside of the four walls of our church and we're loving on others and serving the world. Amen? I mean, that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. That's why Word of Grace exists, so we can equip the saints for the work of the ministry, so we can go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, as well as we can point people to God and connect them to one another as we love one another and grow in a relationship. And man, let me tell you, folks, it's been a powerful, powerful thing to watch folks connect to purpose and connect to vision. And so because of that, we've had a few things happen um, that we have been praying about and I've been praying about and you may have noticed you may have already heard this may be old news to you but um, because of what God has been doing and because of the momentum and the season that we're in and because of the opportunities that God has presented us I believe that it is time for us to begin to work towards going towards another service in our church and what we're going to do is we're going to actually have a few uh, Saturday night services is what we're going to do at six o'clock Saturday night services, we're going to have a few of them before the end of the year, and the goal is, is that by the first of the year that we're going to try as much as we can to have all of the bugs as much as we can worked out and have all of the holes and all of the gaps filled so we can make sure that we do things right and do it with excellence and we can go forward having that Saturday night service available um, after the first of the year. So here's the plan. We're going to have our very first Saturday night service on November the 17th. That's just in a couple of weeks. And the reason that we're springing that on you is not because we're unprepared or because we're last minute. It's because we believe this is just the right timing and we, we need your help. We would love for you to pray about where God would have you serve, what he would have you do. And I know it's asking a lot and we appreciate you so much. I'll tell you what, I was blown away by the amount of volunteers that show up for Hallelujah Party. How many of you guys volunteered for Hallelujah Party? Let me just see your hand. Would you give these guys a hand? Would you tell them thank you? I don't know the exact final count, but I remember that it was somewhere in the upwards of uh, 4, 450, somewhere in there. Maybe even there were a few that we may have even missed. So we had definitely over 400 people show up for the Hallelujah Party, and this place was packed. I mean, and there was candy everywhere, and we had more candy than we've ever had before, and we, we used all of our candy except for half of one of those tubs. So thank you guys so much. And, and, and you know, it just takes people just rallying around God's purposes and God's vision and what God has, his heartbeat, God, people rallying around that. And when they do, we can accomplish great things for his kingdom. Amen? Because this isn't about our kingdom. This isn't about word, the kingdom of word of grace. This is about the kingdom of God. That's got to be our focus. That's got to be our main concern. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason we're expanding this is that so we can make this available, what we're doing here and what God is doing in our midst so we can make this available for more people because we only have so many parking spaces and we only have so many classrooms and we only have so many seats in here. And there may be times where you may look around and you may see, well, it doesn't look like all of the seats are filled and we could sit some more seats in here. And that's true. We could probably put some more seats in here. But let me tell you, folks, we can't put more parking spaces in the parking lot. 
and we can't put more, uh, more room in our children's classes, which just a few weeks ago, just in the kids on the move uh, class, the, the, the older ones alone, they had 52 children in there, and that's not including the workers in there, and that's just one, and I'm telling you folks, God is doing great things, and, and people are getting excited about it. So the plan is, is that we're going to do Saturday night, 6 o'clock, November the 17th, December the 1st, and December the uh, 15th, I believe it is, or, or is it 8th? I, is it 15th? It's 15th? Okay. Wow, you guys know more than I do. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, but so, so mark those dates on your calendar. Uh, we, we need your help. We would love for you to rally around this and, and help make this happen. Also, I just wanted to go ahead. I'm going to let you guys on the inside scoop on what's going on. Just uh, uh, at the first of the year, the very first Sunday, I'm going to begin a new, uh, or the first Saturday rather, I'm going to begin a new series called New. We talked about that a long, long time to try to come up with that creative name. And um, <laughs> we're going to call it New. And what we're going to do is, 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 is we're going to talk about how God's wanting to make everything new, make our lives new, and all these wonderful things. And we're going to kick off that very first Saturday and Sunday services by bringing in a guy named Danny Cahill. He was the guy that won the Biggest Loser season nine, I believe, um, from NBC's uh, Biggest Loser, if you've ever seen that show. And he's going to be speaking with us that weekend. He and his wife are going to be sharing with us. And they're going to be talking about a, a new book that he just wrote. It's called How to Lose Your Quit. And I think that's a great way to kick off the first of the year. So uh, make sure that you spread the word about that. And it's going to be an exciting time. And I look forward to it. And, and one more thing that I'm going to ask you to do not this week, um, but next week, uh, the, the week of the 11th, I'm going to have the church open at, every day at noon for prayer leading up to this Saturday night service. And I would love for you to come and join me and, uh, and, and others here at the church in prayer just for that lunch hour. And I would ask you, if you could, if you could maybe fast one of those meals or if you wanted to fast all of those meals all week or whatever the Lord leads you to do, I would love for us to just, in unity, just fast and pray over this Saturday night service. And if you can't get away and make it here on your lunch hour, then, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's perfectly fine. If you would just take your lunch hour, if, if you can't do it every day because maybe you have meetings or you're busy, I don't know what it is. If you could, just please try to make just a few of those or take a day out and let's just really focus on praying over this Saturday night service. Can we do that together? Can, can, can we do that? Because let me tell you, folks, amen. One claps, everybody claps. <laughs> Pastor Mike said it earlier. I, I'm excited. I'm so excited. The staff, we've been talking about this for over two months. We've been talking about this, how it would look, what we need to do. We've been evaluating. I've talked to the board, and, and everybody's in agreement, and everybody's on board, and we're all in unity on this deal, and we all believe it's the timing of the Lord. And I just appreciate you guys so much, and I look forward to see what God is going to do. So make sure you mark your calendars for the 17th, the 1st, and the 15th, and uh, we'll move forward together. Amen? Amen. Are you excited? Yeah, come on. Are you excited? Amen. I'm super excited. I'm very excited. It's going to be great. I know you have a lot of questions spinning around in your mind, and uh, we're going to do our best to try to answer those, and we're going to do our best to try to make sure that, that even though everything may not just be absolutely perfect, we're going to do our best to try to work through those things together, and we're going to do our best to make sure that we're doing what God has called us to do with excellence, and that we're going to do it uh, in the way that He would have us to do it, in the timing that He would have us to do it. Amen, folks? All right, well, let's get into some questions today. We've been talking about uh, different things uh, uh, that you guys have been emailing, that you've been texting, that you've been putting in the red box out in the foyer. And if you're following along on version, you can do that as well. Make sure that you have that app on your phone, um, the version app, and you can go to live and uh, hopefully that'll all work out great for you. And you can follow along with the questions and the notes as well. Last week, we talked about violence. We talked about answering questions. Why are, why are people so violent? Why have we seen this escalation in violence? All those types of things we've addressed. And this week, I got some really interesting questions, and some of them are kind of connected, and some of them aren't. So it's more of a uh, little bit more random this week with the questions. But I just thought, let's, let's call this clarity. And that's really what we're doing this morning, is we're just clarifying some things in the Word of God. We're clarifying where God's positions are, because where God's positions are and God's values are, that's where mine need to be. Amen? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's not about my thoughts or my values. It's about me aligning myself with God's thoughts and God's values. And that's really what this all boils down to. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to answer these questions that were on your mind that you asked. And we're going to uh, talk about what the Word of God says about these particular topics. Okay? You can text or email uh, questions here in the service to questions at wogcc.com. And I will answer a couple of those at the conclusion uh, of our service this morning. So let's get into this. The first question we're going to talk about today is, what does the Bible say about the poor and government assistance? And, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, what does the Bible say about the poor and government assistance? Because the Bible has a lot to say about the poor. And the Bible has a whole lot to say uh, about what we should do as believers in helping the poor. But what does the Bible say about government assistance? Where does the, where's the line on that? So we're going to talk about that this morning. The very first thing I want you to write down is the Word of God is relevant and is for today. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is relevant and for today. It is not some old book that we just read these great stories and we read these great little principles that enhance our lives. No, the Word of God is life. The Word of God is relevant and the Word of God is for today. Amen? Amen. We have to believe that. We've got to believe that it's alive, that it's relevant, and it's for us and it's for today, so we can look to it as a source of truth, as the source of truth. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. We're going we're gonna to read verse 9, Proverbs 31 and 9. says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. I want you to think about this. This, is, uh, this here is, is saying to us that we are to judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. In other words, we're not supposed to be against the poor and needy. We are supposed to actually be standing in the gap for them and pleading their cause. We're supposed to be standing in the gap, presenting them with love and with truth. Amen? That's what the Word of God says. So open your mouth, judge righteously, plead, plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Now I want to show you Jesus talks about the poor in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 11 says, For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. He said, you're always going to have the poor with you. He said, the poor are always going to be with you. So if the poor are always going to be with us, and we're supposed to plead their cause, we're supposed to stand in the gap for them, then that gives us as believers a responsibility. Amen? But here's the question is, what, what is poor? You know, we, there's a lot of things. Immediately we think about, you know, well, I'm poor because I don't have a good paying job or as good as someone else or I don't have a job at all. Or poor is because I'm not able to, you know, afford that uh, yacht and that big screen TV. Um, or poor is the fact that I can't pay my electric bill. I mean, there's different levels of what people would consider and classify as poor. So, so what, is, what is poor? How do we even define that? What, is, what does God mean here when he's talking about the poor? Well, that word in the Greek, poor, means lacking in anything, destitute of wealth, to toil for daily substance, needy, or lacking in eternal and spiritual wealth. So we see here it's not just things that we can, you know, uh, spend money on. It's not just goods. It's not just finances. It's not just a job. It's also talking about our lack of spiritual wealth. It's talking about if we're having to toil for daily substance, if we're lacking in eternal and spiritual wealth, because how many of us know that the eternal things are much more valuable than these temporary things here on the earth? That stuff is much more valuable. And sometimes we toil and toil and toil, and we feel like we don't have anything or we consider ourselves poor because we always are comparing ourselves to someone else. And we've all heard it said that if we go to a third world country and we look around, even the poorest people in the United States seem to be pretty well off. Because what is poor? That's, that's very difficult to define. You know, I think that poor is really in a state of constant need. I, I, I really like this here where it says to toil for daily substance. You know, if, if we're always having to toil, if it's always, you know, just trying to barely get by, barely hanging on, whether that be spiritual, whether that be in your marriage, whether that be uh, in your finances, whether that be at your job, I think that poverty is really when we're just always, always, always just scra barely scraping by, just barely hanging on and always in need. And God wants us 
to be blessed. And that doesn't mean that he wants us all to show up at Word of Grace in a limousine and all have golden toilets with Kohler on it, right? I don't know if Kohler makes the gold toilet, but if they did, let me tell you, it would have a bidet in it and it would be fancy. <laughs> and play music and all kinds of things. And I know there are musical potties that Kohler makes, so don't tell me that after church. Um, but, you know, we have to look at what is really poor. What is that thing that, that we always, you know, well, I'm poor, or I'm always broke, or I don't have anything. It's not necessarily what we have or what we don't have. I think that when we look at poor, it's more of a mentality that we adopt. We adopt this mentality of always barely getting by, of always barely hanging on. We adopt this mentality and this spirit of always being needy and never, nothing is ever good enough because we're lacking in spiritual substance or we may be lacking in material substance. And I think it's a mentality that we take on. Now, check this out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul addresses this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6, he talks about this poverty mentality, this poor mentality. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6 says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you know yourselves how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now... Those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica here, and he was addressing something because you, you have to understand this church uh, has, has just recently been established. Jesus has just recently uh, actually walked the earth and recently ascended into heaven. All these are very recent events. And one of the very things that Jesus said, he said, you know, look for my coming. He said, I'm going to be coming back. And a lot of the early Christians and early disciples thought that that meant like an hour later. And so they were just like, okay, cool, we'll see you later, Jesus, you know, we'll go hang out for a little bit, and, and, and then you'll be back. And they thought he meant he was coming within the next few days, or maybe the next few weeks, or maybe the next few years, and they were always looking, and always watching, and always waiting for Jesus. Now, because of this, this church in Thessalonica, it had caused some people to get really excited about the return of the Lord, but since they thought Jesus was going to come back any day, then they thought that meant, well, what's the point of working? I don't, I don't have to work. I don't need to go and do anything. And that's what Paul is addressing. That's what he's talking about. He said, listen, guys, I was trying to show you that even though we are servants of Jesus Christ, even though we do believe that he's coming back, even though all these things are going to happen, he said, that doesn't mean that we shut down. Amen, somebody. You see, just because we're Christians, just because we're waiting for something, just because we know something is going to happen, doesn't mean we shut down until it does happen. Paul was trying to say to them, listen, you remember when we were there, we didn't even ask you for bread without us doing something, you know, to earn that bread in return. We didn't ask you for that because we didn't come expecting that, even though by our own authority, we could have been treated that way because of who we are, because we are ministers of the gospel, because we are, uh, you know, the disciples of Jesus Christ. I, I could have come and, and, you know, could have said, hey, by my own authority, w you know, give me that bread. And they would have given it to him. He said, but I didn't do that. He said, instead, I chose to show you an example of how you should be and how you ought to be. So follow me as I follow Christ. Follow this example. And this example was, I didn't need anything that I didn't earn or I didn't work for. He said, so I worked for everything that I had. And that's why he said there that if someone doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat. He was talking to them about just because Jesus is coming back doesn't mean that we unplug and we shut down. And folks, let me tell you what the principle we can gain out of this that's relevant to our lives today is that we shouldn't unplug and do nothing just because someone else will do something for us. 
We shouldn't unplug and do nothing just because someone else will do something for us. If we're able and we can do things for ourselves, then by all means, we should. See, Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to develop this poverty mentality because what that does is it breeds laziness and, and, and it expects well-abled people to feel entitled to other people's goods just because they're Christians. Has anybody ever expected something from you? They felt entitled from something from you just because you call yourself a Christian? I remember one time I was in KFC, and this was just a few months back. I was in KFC uh, on our way back from visiting my wife's family in Arkansas, and I went up to get uh, something extra that my wife or kids wanted, and I was up there at the cash register, and a man comes up to me, and he looks at me, and he said, he said, sir, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) I said, uh, I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, I, I knew you was a preacher. I could just tell. He said, I could just see Jesus all over you. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, could you go tell my wife that? Um, no. I said, uh, I said, okay. I said, well, I appreciate that. I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. I, I live in Wisconsin. I said, we're just passing through here. And he said, well, would you pray for me? Pray for me, pastor. Pray for me. And all of a sudden, I'm his pastor all of a sudden, you know. And, you know, pastor, would you pray for me? Would you pray? Sure. What's your name? He told me his name. And I said, what can I pray for you about? Oh, just just prayer. I just need prayer. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I prayed for him. And, uh, and, And I prayed for him there at the restaurant before I ordered my food and after it was done. Now, now, Pastor, now that you prayed for me, could you give me $5? All I need is $5. All I need is $5 because I haven't, I haven't eaten, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. You know, he told me all this stuff, and he just reeked with alcohol, and I could just tell. You know, he was, he was obviously, uh, you know, drunk, and he was in there, and he, would go, he went to every table. Uh, asking people for money, you know, but he asked me for prayer. And, and you know, a lot of times we'll see that when people see us as Christians, they automatically want a handout. They automatically want something for nothing, you know. And a lot of times it's that well-abled people expect just because we're Christians that we should just give something to them just because. And, and, and you know, there's a difference between standing in the gap for the poor and pleading the case of the poor and just giving a handout. You know, the old adage, the old proverb, you know, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but if you teach him to fish, right? You feed him for a lifetime. We've seen that before. And, you know, I guess it reels back to we can help people in their times of, uh, of, of need, in their times of relief, but it should not be a way of life. It, it shouldn't be a way of life. I'm all for helping people when they're in a rough patch and people are struggling. But let me tell you, um, you know, if, if you're struggling to pay your bills and you just bought the new latest iPhone, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. Because the Bible talks about how we need to be good stewards. And, and I'll tell you, my wife and I, we struggled financially uh, in a season in our life and uh, we didn't know where our, the, the next money f- to pay the next bill was coming from. Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We were getting real scared. We were getting real nervous. There was one point where I remember that we had nothing in our cupboards except for a bag of rice was the only thing that we had. So I've been there. I understand that. I, I ran my own business, and I didn't know at times where if, if this person, I'd invoice this person and invoice that person, and if they wouldn't pay their bills, then here I was struggling, going, okay, what do I do now? You know, and what we decided to do was my wife, you know, she went out and she worked as well. And so here she is working. I'm running this business and we had planted this church, all these different things that we were doing to try to make ends meet. And so I understand completely. And let me tell you, during those times, I didn't have cable television. I didn't have a new car. I didn't, I, I've, I actually, uh, I've, I've never had a new car until uh, we moved here. And my new car was a, it's a nice car, but it was a used car still that we bought because we, we've never owned a new car. And am I saying you shouldn't own a new car? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you should be smart with what you have and know your limits. You should know your boundaries and you should be able to operate within those boundaries. And, and you know, pleading the case of people who are poor financially, uh, you know, I think that we're going to do them a greater service when we help educate them and teach them principles on how to be good stewards, teach them stewardship principles. And during the way, we can, of course, help them out. But at the same time, you can either teach a man to fish or you can give him a fish, right? Everybody get that? And, and, and we've got to understand that. So when it comes to the poor, you know, I, I want you to understand that we are supposed to help them as believers, but at the same time, 
um, this entitlement mentality just because we're Christians is not correct. I want to show you something, one more thing on this before we move on in Romans chapter 13 and verse 7. It says, render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Come on, folks, it's in the Bible. Customs, customs to whom customs Fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except to love one another. He who loves one another has fulfilled the law. He said, you don't owe anybody anything except love. He said, you don't owe any man anything except love. And listen, no man owes you anything but love. Hello, somebody. You see, the literal Greek translation of this verse is don't continue owing anything to anyone. That's literally what is being said here. Don't continue. Don't make it a mentality. Don't make it a habit where you're continually always owing someone because we certainly should help the poor. And let me tell you something. If the government chooses to do so, that is fine to participate in that assistance. I have no beef with that at all if people want to participate in that assistance. The problem is when it becomes a lifestyle instead of assistance because what it does is it actually hinders me from moving forward when it becomes a lifestyle. It hinders me from moving forward when it becomes a lifestyle. You see, then our mentality shifts. That's, that's the problem, is that the mentality shifts to thinking we're owed something. Instead of taking initiative to improve our circumstances, we become dependent. And we be, when we become dependent, we're always feeling owed. We're always w depending on someone else for our substance, for us to survive. You see, we owe no man nothing, and we are owed nothing but love. That's what the Word of God says. Owe no man nothing, and don't feel like you're owed anything but love. Verse 7 says to pay your bills. Doesn't it? Render therefore to all their taxes due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to who customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That's what that verse is saying. It's saying we need to be fiscally responsible. We need to be responsible with the things that we have, with the things that God is, is wanting us to, to have and to live and to move and to not have all this stress because of all this junk. You know, folks, that, that one of the greatest reasons that people fight and get divorced and all these things is over finances. Finances and sex are two of the biggest fighting points in a marriage. Two of the biggest stress points often in relationships. And two of the things that are rarely talked about in a peaceable manner... <laughs> But let me tell you, folks, if we want to move forward in our walk with God, if we want to move forward in our relationships, we need to understand the stewardship principles of the Word of God. Amen? So this is really what this whole text is saying here. In other words, we need to be responsible with our life. We need to work hard, honor God, and don't get caught up in the blame game. Amen, somebody? Not feeling like we're owed, but understanding that those, those, those things that are there, they're there to help us to move forward, not to keep us there. I don't want to look back and say, it's been 10 years and I'm still stuck in the same mess, dealing with the same problems I was 10 years ago. Amen, somebody. I want to make progressive steps to get out of that situation. And, I, and, and if I need help doing that, then by all means, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to plead the case of the poor and the needy. We're supposed to stand in the gap. We're supposed to help them and equip them and enable them and help them along the way. And I'm all for that. And I believe we should do that as Christians. And I believe that that is our responsibility. Amen, somebody? Here's the deal. Clarity comes when we seek the truth, not what's convenient. And that's the hard thing about when we're really looking for clarity. We just hope the Bible doesn't say what we think it's going to say. We go, oh man, I really hope it doesn't say that. I'm sitting there with my fingers crossed going, because I don't like the fact that maybe it's not politically correct. Or I don't like the fact that someone may want to ostracize me from their circle because of the way that I stand, the way that I believe. Or maybe someone's going to talk bad about me because of where I stand. Because, so I, I, I want to play the PC game and I want to be all politically correct. And so I'm afraid of clarity because I'm afraid of the truth when it's not convenient for me. But let me tell you, folks, we need to be people of the truth, whether it's inconvenient or inconvenient in our politically correct society. Amen, somebody. Amen, pastor. But clarity comes when we seek the truth, not what is convenient, because the truth is not always convenient. So here's the second question we're going to answer this morning. What is the biblical definition of marriage, and why is the government involved in this? I love that second half of the question. I thought that was great. 
Whoever asked that, I don't know, but I thought that is great. What is the biblical definition of marriage and why is the government involved in this? So uh, let's flip over to Genesis chapter 2. We'll move through this rather quickly here, but we'll get some answers. In the book of Genesis, let's look in the book of beginnings. Let me tell you something about the book of Genesis while you're turning to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 is God's perfect original intention of the way that everything is supposed to be, okay? When we see here in the Garden of Eden, in those first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we see God's desire, his will is perfected in Genesis, uh, in, in those first few chapters before sin entered into the scene. And we see God's true desire, we see his true heart, and we can see the picture of what God desired for us and still desires for us. And uh, so let's look at it that way in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air. Then he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, out of this, it's very clear that we can see God's original intention for marriage, that the biblical definition of marriage is one man and one woman for life. The book of Genesis shows us God's perfect will for creation before sin entered into the world. Amen? We can see God's perfect definition of marriage being one man, one woman. Now, here's the thing. Verse 24 also shows us God's intention for sex. You see, sex was intended for procreation and intimacy between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Amen, Pastor. You see, but here's the deal. Because of wounds from childhood or from previous marriages, people may tend to be scared of marriage. They may, be, they, they may tend to be scared because of those wounds that they carry around. And so they will choose different ways of, of living and they'll be promiscuous and all these different things because they don't want to commit and they don't want to make that relationship uh, connection. They don't really want to have that covenant relationship because they're afraid because of what they've experienced or because of what they have seen. Let me tell you, folks, I want us to understand that those wounds from your childhood or from a previous marriage or whatever, let me tell you, those things can be healed and God desires to heal those wounds, amen? He wants us to have a healthy view of marriage and not stay away from God's perfect intention because of our wounds and our fear of being wounded again. There is healing and there is forgiveness. You see, when we're intimate with someone, we become one with them and the sacredness of sexual relationships are healthiest in the context of marriage. They're healthiest in the context of marriage. That was the way that God intended it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, let me show you something else here while I'm making you all nervous. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, he says that marriage is honorable among all, and he said that that marriage bed is undefiled. And let me tell you why the marriage bed is undefiled. Because it honors God's original intention. That's why it's undefiled. Because it honors God's original intention. You see, God never approved of polygamy, of pornography, of adultery, or homosexuality. See, there are certain instances in the Bible, even where divorce was permitted, but it should be a serious, serious decision. And God still says, even though people still get divorced, he said, I still hate that act and I still hate that that happens. He says, I don't hate the people. I love the people, but I hate the act because of all of the pain that it causes. But let me tell you, folks, we've, we've got to quit allowing our society to define for us what is right and what is wrong and allow the truth when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient to define for us where we stand and what we believe. Amen? Amen. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You see, all that other ground is sinking sand. I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word when it's convenient, when it's politically correct, and when it isn't politically correct. And God never approved of these things that, that, I, that I rattled off. God never approved of these things because 
This is what he desired in creation for his people. Amen, somebody. But here's the deal. The other half of this question, the, the, the fun part of this question, why is the government involved in this? Well, here's the deal. I don't really have a biblical answer for this, so I'm just going to shoot from the hip on it, okay? Uh, the government is involved due to trying to give the same rights to traditional couples as non-traditional couples, okay? That's why the government is involved. But here's the deal. We should never allow the government or popular culture to set the standard of morality in which we live our lives, but God's word alone should set the standard for where we live our lives. Amen? Amen. That's, where, that, that's the standard. That's the line that we draw in the sand and say, this is how we're going to live our lives. These are the things that we're going to allow our lives to be built upon, and we're going to stand upon are the things in the word of God, not the government, not the Baldwin, Alec Baldwin and all those people and all the Hollywood actors. We're not going to allow those people to define for us what is right and wrong. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's move on uh, to our next question. What are our responsibilities as Christians and as civilians? Let's talk about clarity on that. This is your third point. Write it down. Clarity comes when we understand our role as Christians because what it does is it empowers us to stand it, it empowers us to stand up for what we believe in. Now, in the book of Romans chapter 13, Romans 13 and verse 1 says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. There is that tax thing again. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now there's that verse that we read earlier uh, with a little bit more context. It'll give us a little bit more light there. Now, we need to understand our role as Christians. We need to understand what our role is uh, as, as civilians, as, as citizens of this nation, because we're still in this world, and we need to submit to authority. Amen? Our role as Christians should be one that affects change in everything that we do, and however we can be involved. So, there are times, though, that even though we see here that we need to submit to government, there are times where you need to understand that, that government rule should not be followed. What? That's right, folks. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 27, the Bible says this, And when they had brought them, they were set before the council or the government, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter said to the other apostles and, and answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You see, there are times where we should uh, obey God when that government begins to try to pull away from the decrees of God. So here's, here's the healthy way to look at this. The laws of the land should be followed unless they contradict the word of God because here's the deal. When officials operate outside of the word of God, they relinquish the authority that was given to them by God. That is why it's important that we elect leaders that are submitted to God's principles and his word. Amen? You see, the only way anybody can have authority is, is because it's delegated, because it's given. You don't just declare, I have authority. That's not how it works. You know, we don't have authority on our own. The only authority we have as Christians is that of Jesus Christ. Amen? We can't operate on our own authority because there, there's, there's nothing about us that is good. There's nothing about us that is powerful or that has any dimension of authority except for, wait a minute, I've got Jesus living on the inside of me and that changes everything, right? 
That's what makes all things new. That's why when we're a believer, we have to understand there's a certain element of authority that comes with that, that God's intentions, the things that he wants us to walk over, the things he wants us to be victorious over, those things are things that we only have ability to do through Jesus Christ. And the only reason we have ability to do that is because we're submitted to his authority. Amen? I've used this example before, but I'll use it again because it's good. That a police officer has been given authority from his higher-ups, from the government. He's been given the authority to pull you over, to act when necessary in certain ways, to handle certain situations. But when he acts outside of the realm of those boundaries in which that authority was delegated to him, what happens to his badge? It gets taken away, right? He willingly gives up his authority because he chooses to operate outside of that authority. And let me tell you, folks, it's the same thing with our government and with our leaders. When they act outside of the principles of the Word of God, we are not obligated to submit to that authority because God wants us to follow Him rather than man. Amen? That's why it's so important. That's why this election is so important, because we need to elect leaders that are submitted to God's principles and His Word. And our civil duty is to be representatives of Jesus Christ in a world that's in need of Him in any way that we can to bring a godly influence in our world. That's our civil responsibility as Christians. And if we can help bring about change by participating in an election or by participating in political arenas and avenues, then by all means, we should do those things because we live in a country that actually affords us that opportunity. Not everybody gets to do what we're going to do Tuesday. You know that? Not everybody gets to do that. Not everybody gets that choice. Not everybody gets that voice. So we as Christians, yes, we do have a responsibility to stand up for God's principles. It is our civil duty to be representatives of Jesus Christ in the world. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says that we are ambassadors of Christ. We are his ambassadors in this world. We are God's representatives in the world that are supposed to be living and carrying out the will of God in our own lives in this world. In any way that we see that we can affect change, we need to take the responsibility and do so. Amen? All right, last question we're going to get into this morning. Should politics be important to Christians? Well, <laughs> I want you to write this down. This is your fourth point. As Christians, we should always look for opportunities to affect change in the world we live in. We, we always should. Um, in Acts 17 and verse 6, the Bible says this, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You see, these guys were hunting out Christians. They were hunting these people that were spreading the gospel and spreading the good news. And, and they, they were looking for these guys, and they didn't find them. Uh, they, they said they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers out into the rulers of the city and said, These are the guys. They're the ones who did it. They're the ones who are turning the world upside down. They're the ones who are changing things. They're the ones who are causing this change in the way that we've been doing it. These are the ones that have been talking about Jesus. These are the ones that have been seeing all these mighty things happen. These are the ones that are responsible. And they got these guys and labeled them as people who had turned the world upside down. So yeah, I believe that politics should be important because they set the tone for culture and decisions that are being made in our country. I believe it's our responsibility to take advantage of the opportunity for us to have a voice. Amen, somebody. I believe it's our responsibility as believers to have that voice because not every nation is a democracy and people who have uh, tried to have a voice are either silenced or ignored in other nations. See, we're in a nation that we can voice our opinions and we can vote and it's very important for every Christian to take this opportunity to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we have clarity of what we believe and why we believe it, we can confidently take a stand for the truth and the world will see Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen? That's our responsibility for us to stand up for the truth, for us to stand up. You've you got to be balanced with your truth, though, because truth has to be spoken in love. Amen? The Bible says that by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 15 that we need to be speaking the truth in love. That helps us to grow up into all things, which is Christ. We need to speak the truth in love. So even though we get excited about truth, we rally around truth, we want to high-five each other when we agree on truth, we need to also make sure 
that we also are balanced with love. Amen? Because people are hurting. Folks, that's why we're going to three services. Because there's lots of hurting, hurting people that need, that, that need love. They need the truth. They need to be in a place where people care about them. Amen? They need to be in a church that's loving God, loving people, and serving the world. That's why we're doing this. We're not just trying to have a big church and get more numbers. That's not what it's about at all. It's about souls. It's about seeing people's lives change. It's about loving on people and them feeling like they're authentically cared about, authentically loved. You know, people just want, they just want to hang out with folks that are real. Amen? I want to hang out with folks that are real. As your pastor, I try to be as transparent and honest, as real as I can be. And I want, I want you to feel that I'm approachable. And I want you guys to feel that one another is the same way that we're approachable, that we love each other, that we care about each other. And that's how it needs to be. That's how iron sharpens iron. That's how we're going to grow up in Christ. That's how we're going to grow together, by love and truth. Amen? And if we keep on doing those things, then we're going to be able to reach more people for the kingdom of God because it is all about his kingdom. Amen? I'll be back in just a minute to answer a couple of your questions, so make sure you get those in. get to a few questions here hope you guys enjoyed the little videos while I was back there reading questions um, let's see we have a question that says is it the job of Christians to attempt to pass laws to regulate or to lead through example I, I think I kind of covered that um, but uh, it's we it's a it's about influence we want to have influence in our world today and I really believe that God has shown all throughout scripture that in ways that we can be an influence in ways that we can stand up for truth we need to amen and that's we, we do we need to stand up for truth so yeah that's uh you mentioned being okay with the government helping the poor so does that mean that welfare and those types of government programs are okay uh, I do believe that government assistance is okay to an extent um, it's, it's got to be a healthy balance it's got to be something where we don't get dependent on it and we live on it. I do believe that that's fine because you and I pay our taxes and in that way, uh, you know, that money is distributed to help people in times of need and I'm all for people being helped in times of need. Um, there have been times in my life where I've needed help and, uh, but uh, guess what folks, now I'm in a position where I can be able to help other people and I'm not, you know, always needing help all the time. But if I ever get to a place where I need help again, then I have no problem with that at all. Uh, but at the same time, I, I believe that it's not necessarily the government's responsibility that they owe us something. I, I believe that it is us as the church are the ones that should be loving on folks and setting the pace and setting the example. Amen? And, and not that we become a, a handout society because that's not going to help anybody. But it's that we, we help people when they're hurting. We help people when they're in need. And at the same time, we educate them and help bring them in with that love and truth to help them grow up to be able to be responsible in their own lives. Amen? Amen. Um, let's see, I'll just read. I'll read just a couple more here. Um, hey, you mentioned, this is a good one. This is a good one. This is a good one. You mentioned polygamy. What about Solomon? He was blessed despite his one thousands of wives or thousands. I guess we just decided to write one thousands instead of write it out. That's cool. Um, you mentioned polygamy. Listen. That joker had a thousand wives. He had a thousand mother-in-laws. That joker was on crack. <laughs> here's the deal here's the deal folks 
We see all throughout Scripture that there are people who had multiple wives and things like that. God never, ever, ever condoned that. Matter of fact, every uh, person in the Bible that we see that did practice polygamy, yeah, they may have been blessed in other areas of their life, but let me tell you, that always was a stumbling block, and that was always a point of contention in almost every relationship that you see in the Bible. Almost every one of them. I mean, think about uh, Abraham, you know. Uh, think about the contention and the problem that we're still dealing with today because he had more than one wife. Uh, think about the problem that Solomon had. He was led astray to worship other false gods because of his other wives. So God never condoned that. God never gave the green light on that. And, uh, and, and he, if, if he wanted us to operate that way, he would have created us that way uh, in, in the Garden of Eden. So I'll look over the rest of these, and we may bring some of these up next week. But for time's sake, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on. And uh, I appreciate you participating in that and, and shooting in those questions. Please keep sending me these questions. I love reading these questions, and I love thinking about these things that you're thinking about and wondering these things you're wondering about. I think it's a great way for us to, to be able to address some of your questions you have about the Word of God. And I will look at these also that I didn't get to that you texted in, and I'll check those out as well. Would you just bow your heads for just a minute? Maybe you're here in this place today and you say, Pastor, you've been talking about clarity, and I have some clarity today. I have, I have clarity for the first time in my life, maybe even, that I need Jesus Christ in my life. I need him to be my Lord and my Savior, and I need him in a way that needs to be real to me. I want it to be more than just a prayer. I want it to be more than just another Sunday morning church service. I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus Christ. If that's you in this place, I just want you to just simply let me know while everybody's got their heads bowed. If you would just raise up your hand and put it back down. If there's anybody in this place this morning, I see those hands. You can put them down. Anybody else in this place? This lifting your hand stuff is more for you than it is for me. Because I want you to know that it's about us stepping out and believing and trusting and us recognizing our need for Jesus. Anyone else in this place? Church, would you help me pray this morning? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new. Help me to walk this life in a way that would please you. As I come to know you more, as I come to love you more, strengthen me, Lord, as I pursue you. I make you my Lord, and I make you my Savior, and I give you my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you said that prayer, I'd like for you to let us.